many of you enjoyed Jackson last week? Did you enjoy that? He's a good preacher, wasn't he? And uh, this morning somebody came in and said, we're ready for some good preaching. I said, I don't have any guest preachers this morning, so I'm sorry. But uh, Daniel, I'm just messing with you, buddy. You know that, right? So I'm glad to be here this morning and uh, pray for Mason. I always like to announce when our young preachers are out preaching, he is at uh, the DeRosset Brethren in Christ this morning. And uh, that's a, if that sounds foreign to you, DeRosset is a community in White County up on Bonaire Mountain. So pray for Mason as he's preaching there this morning. And uh, next week he'll be at Antioch, so he is, he is burning the roads up. And, and it's good to have young preachers out preaching, right? I mean, we've got to have, we've got to have somebody coming up. Uh, had, as I said, Brother Freddie Savage, a Free Will Baptist preacher, passed away. So uh, somebody's got to come up and, and stand in the gap and fill the void that's left by that. If you've got your Bibles this morning, let's go to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 5, a very familiar piece of Scripture, at least it should be to you. And I'm going to start preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you know anything about the Sermon on the Mount, you'll know that that is about three chapters of the Bible. And no, I'm not going to cover them this morning, so don't worry uh, about that. I'm going to cover 12 verses, and so just bear with me, pray for me, and we'll get, um, we're, we're going to preach through the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you like good preachers? Do you like good preachers? I like good preaching. In fact, I like to, uh, I listen to a lot of preaching, and when I'm mowing the yard is, a, is one of my favorite times to listen to preaching, and uh, if you've never tried it, it's a wonderful thing, and uh, I, I mean, I've been known to shout amen while I'm riding the lawnmower and, and, and nearly run over things, and I'll just put my little AirPods in my ears and put some headphones over that and listen to preaching, but if there was ever the, the, the best preacher that ever lived is Jesus, amen? He is not a preacher, he is the preacher he is the one that that gave us the wonderful words that we have here this morning and so if you have found Matthew chapter 5 verse number 1 let's stand to our feet and read what the Lord has to say this morning from the word of God we're going to read verses 1 through 12 the Bible says this and seeing the multitudes he went up into a mountain and when he was set his disciples came unto him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. He says rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let's pray. Lord we love you. And God, what a wonderful opportunity it is to be in church this morning. And Lord, I thank you for each one that's here. Lord, I thank you for people that, that put the effort forth to come into church this morning. And God, I pray for the ones that can't be here, that would love to be here. God, bless them as only you can. And Lord, as we open your word and we begin to, to see what you said on the Sermon on the Mount, God, I just pray that you would bless it. And Lord, that you would have your way. 
God, give me clarity of mind and clarity of speech as I uh, begin to unpack your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Most of you know this scripture, right? I mean, when I read it, everybody said, well, yeah, I've, I've known the Beatitudes for a long time. And, and I, I've too, I've, I've heard them since I was little. I grew up in church. But I always wondered, you know, what, what, is, what is really, what is a beatitude? I mean, if you look in the scripture, the word beatitude is not found in Matthew 5, 1 through 12, right? And, and the way I looked at it and, and the way I uh, researched it and found out that the word beatitude uh, is, is just a, a, another word for blessing. And this is how you should be. Now, I want to say this about the world, and, and probably everybody in this church. How many in this church, actually, you enjoy being happy? Do you enjoy being happy? I like it when I'm happy. And, and sometimes, I'll just, I'll just be honest with you, occasionally I'm not happy, right? You can, you can, ask, my, you can ask my family. You can ask some people around here. There are times that, that we're just not happy people, right? And that may be for various reasons. That may be that, that maybe we're having a bad day or, or maybe something's happened in our life that's not super pleasant or, or we're going through things and sometimes we're just not happy. But, but there are times in my life when, when I just wake up and, and it, I'll be honest with you, this, some, this don't happen as much as I'd like it to. You ever just wake up and get out of bed and you just feel good and you're a happy person? I, I, I didn't think so, but I was just checking to ask. I mean, I don't, I don't do it very often myself. But I, I'll tell you this, that if, if we, should, we should be seeking to be happy people. Not happy in ourselves, not, not in anything like that, but to be happy in the Lord. So this word blessed here, as we, we go through this, there's eight Beatitudes here. And I, so I've got an eight-point sermon. If you, want, if you take notes, you just put eight check marks down right there. And I'm going to go through these verses one by one. But the word blessed means not only to be happy, but to be supremely happy. To be happy more than, more than you can almost stand. So in verse number 1 it says this, And seeing the multitudes, that is Jesus, saw the multitudes of people that had begun to follow him. It said he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Now I just want to talk about this verse for just a minute because a lot of times we, we tend to sort of overlook small details that the Bible gives us about the setting in which things take place. But one thing you, you have to understand when you read the Word of God is a lot of times you need to understand who Jesus is talking to. Amen? Because there are some things that are said that if you tried to apply this to a certain group of people, it, it would just be like putting a, a square peg in a round hole. It, it just doesn't work. And so you see this, that Jesus sees the multitude. He looks out and he sees this large group of people. From the time that Jesus started doing miracles, people started to follow him. And he has already called his disciples. And actually in the previous chapter, chapter number 4, starting about, about verse 23, we begin to see Jesus going into synagogues and going into the streets. And he, was, he would heal people. And so that, that uh, garnered quite a following for Jesus. So he looks up and he sees this multitude. Now most of this multitude, to be honest with you, didn't have the, the best reasons for following Jesus. They weren't following Jesus because he, because he had the, the answers to life's questions. They, they weren't following Jesus because they were looking at him as the Messiah or as someone that came to bring salvation to the world. They were looking at Jesus because they were hurting. 
They were looking at Jesus because they were blind and deaf and lame and, and all these other infirmities that we find in the Bible. And they were following him just hoping that he would stop and take time out of his day and heal them. And so that's why the multitude was following Jesus. And so he turns around and he sees this multitude and he looks at them. And then it says this, there's a comma, and then it says he went up into a mountain. Now there's two different schools of thought on this, and, and I'm just going to give them both to you real quick, and I'm trying not to spend too much time on this. But one, one school of thought is this, and I believe that it, there's, there's something to it, that he saw the multitude, and then he tried to get away from the multitude. You see that in your Bible? Now I could, I could see that, I guess it says that he saw the multitude, and then he went up into a mountain. Do you see that? There's, there's a separation there. And, and that he just took his disciples with him, because in the very next words it says, and when he was set down in the mountain or on the mountain, it says his disciples came to him. Now the other school of thought is this, and this is how I've, I've always believed up until maybe just a few years ago when I was studying this scripture out, that you know Jesus saw the multitude and he thought, hey, this is a good opportunity, I've got a crowd, let's, let's tell them something, let's give them something. And so Jesus just sat down in front of the crowd and he began to preach. That, that's how I was always raised. How many of you, that's pretty much how you were taught. That's how I was taught. But, but I, could, I guess I could say the other way, couldn't you? Maybe, maybe he separated himself. I'm not sure. But it says this, and this is what we don't need to overlook, that whether or not the multitude is present, I believe that when Jesus is speaking, he's actually speaking to his disciples. Because it says, in seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. So his disciples sat down. And so, reading between the lines and, and, just, and just reading through this, Verse 2 says, and he opened his mouth and taught them. Now, who is them? Looks like the disciples to me. So he begins to teach the disciples. They're about to have wisdom bestowed upon them that they have never heard in their entire life. Jesus is about to say things to them that are going to sound weird. They're going to sound strange. And, and when we read through them, and we're going to break them down, uh, if time will allow us, individually this morning, and Jesus is going to say things, and you're going to read it, and you're going to scratch your head, and you're going to say, how can you be happy when this is happening? And he begins to preach to them. Now, I'm, I'm, of, the, I'm of the belief and you can, you can disagree with me that Jesus is talking to his disciples and the multitude just might have overheard this. One guy said it like this, the Sermon on the Mount was spoken into the ear of the church and overheard by the world. Because a lot of people have heard this, right? A, a lot of non-Christian people, lost people have read this section of Scripture. But I believe until you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, I believe until you ex have accepted Christ into your life, that it's going to be really hard to be happy in these situations. But you remember a couple of weeks ago, maybe, maybe even three weeks ago or four weeks ago now, I preached uh, about being different. There's a difference in us, right? And so things that make us happy, things that bring us joy, that make us even supremely happy are different than things that will bring the world happiness. The, the same things that make the world happy should not necessarily make you happy. Can you say amen to that? There should be different things should, uh, should light your fire. And so he begins, and the first thing he says in verse number 3, he says, Blessed or, or supremely happy are the poor in spirit. Well, praise the Lord. 
Well, if you're poor in spirit this morning, you should be supremely happy. Now, just reading that, the very first thing that he opens with seems like it, you'd be kind of down and out if you were poor in spirit, right? And you think, well, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? That, that's something that we don't hear and we don't talk about here. And as you break down these words and you read them, and I, I won't give you all the, the explanation of the Greek and all that, but poor, we, we know what that means, right? Some of you in here, were you raised poor? Anybody in here raised poor? Brother Albert said he was raised poor, right? Sometimes you didn't have two nickels to rub together, amen? You know what being poor is? It's not having anything. It's being destitute. Sometimes when you're poor, you don't have, you don't have hardly anything. You've just got the clothes on your back, and, and if you're lucky, you've got a little bit of a shelter over your head, and you might not have much more than that. Now, I'll say this, that, that most people in this church, uh, besides a few of our older generation, don't really understand what being poor really is. I mean, I look around, and, and we've got a lot of rich people in here. Now, I'm not saying that rich as in you've got millions of dollars in the bank, and you may have, and, and if you do, you need to give 10% of it to the church, amen? But, but come on now, that's funny, right? You all should laugh when I, when I mention giving a bunch of money to the church. That's when everybody gets nervous, right? But I'm looking at people who are dressed nice, who got here in nice vehicles, who have nice homes. I mean, by, by all standards, we're, in the, we're in the, amongst the richest people in the world. So when Jesus mentions that blessed are they that are poor, we can't really understand that real well. We, we don't get that. We, we say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I understand that, but we understand what it means to be materially poor. But what does it mean to be spiritually poor? To be spiritually destitute. What that means is this. That without Jesus and besides Jesus, you don't have anything. You are destitute. And let me explain that to you. Just break it down just a little bit more. When, when Adam sinned in the garden, and I've mentioned this before, and we have the original sin of man, that broke our relationship, that broke our fellowship with God. Because God is holy. God cannot look upon sin. That's why he had to turn his back on his son Jesus on the cross. When Jesus was hanging there dying for our sins, God had to literally turn his back on his son because he can't look at sin. And so when Adam broke that fellowship with God and, and, and something was put in us, something that was naturally is instilled in every one of us is that sinful nature. Theologians and scholars call it a depraved nature. The, the, they talk about the depravity of man. And that word may not mean a whole lot to you, but what that means is that you and yourself have absolutely no chance Zero chance of making it to heaven. On your own, the only place that you can look forward to spending eternity is in hell. That's being poor in spirit right there. That's destitute. That means that in yourself, that your spirit, you're poor. You're destitute. And you say, now wait a minute. Jesus just said, this is Jesus speaking, and Jesus knows what he's saying. He didn't accidentally say the wrong thing here. He didn't accidentally say, supremely happy are you if you are destitute. 
supremely happy you should be if you're poor in spirit. Then he goes on to say this, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now how can you have the kingdom of heaven if you're so poor in spirit? Now with each of these, each of these beatitudes or each of these sayings of Jesus that we have, and, and you should know this and see this, it's very obvious, this is so easy to break down, that you have this, this blessed state and then you have the reward that goes with it. Everybody sees that, right? It's very obvious. Now I want you to understand that these things that, that we read down through here, they don't just apply individually, that m- most of these apply to every single person, or at least they should, these, the first few of them. Especially the part about the fact that we're destitute, amen? That we're poor, that we can't do anything. And then he goes on to say, and and this is where it kind of takes a turn. He said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, if I would have just closed my Bible right there and, uh, and we would have went home, you would have had a bad day, right? If I would have just left you thinking, man, I'm destitute without God. Without Him, I am nothing, and, and, and I can't do anything. I can't make it to heaven on my own. If I would have left you with that, you would have just went home and said, I can't be happy thinking that. Amen? Could any of you go home happy thinking, oh, I, I, I can't go to heaven? But then he says this, he said, blessed are they that mourn. He said, so in light of the fact that you realize that you're destitute and that you're poor in spirit, he said, that should do something in you. That should make you mourn and that should make you sorrowful. Now, when I used to read the Beatitudes, I would read it as this, or blessed are they that mourn. Maybe blessed are those that have lost a loved one, because that's when you mourn, right? That's when you mourn, when you lose a loved one, or something happens and you mourn, maybe you lose your job. It's, it's generally at loss is when you mourn. And so, as I say that, you apply these two verses and you put them together. When you realize how destitute and how poor and how, how, how sorry you are without God, that ought to make you sad, right? Wouldn't you think, that, wouldn't you think so? You should say, man, I, what am I going to do if, if, I'm so, if I'm so poor and so bad off by myself? Th- that, that makes me sad. And how can I be supremely happy when the Bible tells me to mourn? Well, let me say this, that, that if, if you're mourning over your spiritual state, that is a good place to be in. The reason I say that is this, because if you are mourning over your sinful state, that means one of two things. That means if you're a saved person, that you're dependent on Jesus and knowing that you can't make it on your own. And if you're a lost person and you begin to mourn over your sinful state, that means that God is dealing with your heart to, to bring you to Him. Now he said, blessed are they that mourn, and then he doesn't stop. He says, for they shall be comforted. So how are we comforted? Where does the comfort in all of this come from? And and Jesus, I'll say this, himself is the comfort. The comfort is this, that, that in myself I can do nothing. I am poor in spirit. I'm destitute. I'm broke. I'm bankrupt. And I'm sad about that. But my comfort is the fact that I know that my salvation does not depend on me this morning. Because if it depended on me to make it to heaven, I'm not making it to heaven. You know how you're going to get to heaven? How many of you plan on going to heaven? Anybody in here? Some of you saved people ought to be raising your hand right now. I plan on going to heaven. But I don't plan on getting there and saying, it's, it's me. I'm the reason that I'm in heaven this morning. 
It's only by the wonderful blood of Jesus. That is my comfort this morning. And I can be exceedingly, supremely happy because of the fact that I can't do it on my own. I'm thankful that I'm not dependent on me to get to heaven because I know me, amen? And you know you. But wonderful, the wonderful thing about it is, is I also know Jesus. And I know that He's perfect and He lived a sinless life and died on a cross for my sins. Then he goes on to say in these verses, they just keep interconnecting with each other. And he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You notice that he says, theirs is, for they shall, and they shall inherit. And and it's what God is giving us in light of this, our reward. Blessed are the meek. You know what meekness is? I heard a guy say this one time, meekness, let me say this, meek doesn't equal weak. Do you understand that? That is not, that is not an equation right there. Meek does not mean you're weak. In fact, there are a lot of people in this world that are meek, that are very powerful people. What meekness is, and you want to see the perfect example of meekness, it's Jesus Christ himself. Jesus was, was more powerful than any human that ever walked, right? He opened blinded eyes. He made the lame to walk. He did all these miracles and all these things that, that we, we, we know that He did. We say we agree with that. We have faith that He did those things. But yet Jesus took all that power. He took the power to, to give life. And he also had power if he wanted to. He could have took life. Do you understand that? He is, I mean, God is the giver and taker of life. Amen. And Jesus is God in the flesh. And so Jesus had all this power at his disposal and at his fingertips, and yet he chose not to use that. I believe one of the best examples of meekness in, in the entire Bible is when you find Jesus dying on the cross. And he had the power to get himself off of that cross. He had the power to destroy those Romans that were sitting around him. He had the power to destroy all of humanity. He could have destroyed the earth that day if he wanted to, but yet he kept that power under control. And you say, well, how does that apply to us? Well, let me tell you this, that that when, when we become... Christians, when we begin to mourn and and we accept the comforter and we are comforted, then I want you to understand this, that that we have power with God. Amen? I'll tell you what, as a saved person, and and you don't take this the wrong way, but I guess I kind of want you to take it like this. You are somebody in the eyes of God. You're one of His own. And you uh, you could walk around and And you could puff your chest out and stick your nose up in the air and say, you know what, I'm too good for the world now and and, and I'm better than y'all and and all these things. I have power with God. I can go to Him in prayer and I can do this. But really, does a a good Christian person have that act like that? Absolutely not. We need some people. We need some meek people, don't we? Some people that have power, but, but yet they're willing to subdue it and, and keep it under subjection. And he said, blessed are the meek. Then he goes on in verse number 6, he says, blessed or, or happy are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. 
Now again, we're going down the chain of, of salvation, as I will say. Blessed are the poor, the destitute, the broken. And, and you begin to mourn, and, and then you get saved. And, but then when you get saved, you know what you do? And remember, he's talking to saved people. He said, happy are you if you're hungry and thirsty to live right, to act right. Now, how many of you like to live right? I do. I, I try. Do you, do you generally try to live right? Now's not the time to be like, nope, I just don't, I don't do it. <laughs> Some of you in here may be thinking that, but don't say it out loud. But, but generally, I mean, I try to live good, you know. I don't, I don't frequent bars. In fact, I'm never at a bar. I don't just not frequent them, I'm never there. I don't, I don't go down and, and, and support, you know, things that we consider bad, and, and I'm not out here, you know, doing ungodly things. But yet there's still something inside of me that lets me know that, that I can't live righteous on my own. See, one of, the, one of the terrible things about it is is that when God saves us, and there's nothing terrible in God's salvation, but understand this, that when we get saved, God leaves us right here where we're at. God doesn't just snatch you up and take you to heaven or snatch you up and put you in a, in a utopian place where everybody else is living right. The thing about it is, is that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've still got to live in the flesh every day. You've still got to deal with the same problems. You've still got to go look at the same people. You've still got to do all these things. And so in you, there's going to be something that says, maybe, maybe I still do a little wrong. Some of you still do a little wrong sometimes, right? It's okay to say that. Yeah we do I make mistakes I fall short I, I do things that I shouldn't sometimes but you know what back to Jesus I am hungering and thirsting after righteousness I want to be right but I really don't have any righteousness in myself I can't it, it, he gives the example of being hungry and thirsty I'm thirsty right now I'm about to go get a drink of water so you'll have to forgive me in a minute but when you really thirst after something, that means that you really want it. And hungering and thirsting after righteousness is something that you cannot fulfill in yourself. Righteousness will not be found in you. Sure, you can do right for a while and you can, you can you know, live as clean as you possibly can. But at the end of the day, you know where my righteousness comes from? Jesus Christ Himself. Amen? The only way that I will be filled with righteousness is by depending on the Lord Jesus Christ. So now we're depending on Him for our salvation. Amen? We're depending on Him for our righteousness. And, and you know what? If you're depending on yourself to live right, you're not going to be happy. Amen? You're, you can't be happy depending on yourself. You're always going to be mad at yourself. You know, you could, you could wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning and you could go to maybe 1 or 2 and, and, not, and not do anything bad. And you think, man, I'm doing good today. And then if you're like me, you get behind a slow driver driving on a two-lane road and you begin to think ungodly thoughts. Anybody ever do that? You think maybe maybe if I just tap them a little bit in the rear end, maybe they'll just maybe they'll get the clue and go on. Parker's pointing at Yvonne for some reason. Is she the slow driver or the fast one? Okay, me too, brother. So sister, I'm with you. Okay, 
So you do that too, right? It's okay to admit that. She will run over you. Amen, brother. Me too. But that's ungodly, sister. It's not godly to run over people. We're having confession time from the pulpit. <laughs> but as we do these things and, and we depend on ourselves, and then all of a sudden when we, when we realize that we've done something, maybe we say something towards them or, or do something that we shouldn't, maybe we honk our horn at them, whatever it may be, and God is not pleased with it, and you think, man, there it went, I messed up. I had this great thing going all day, and now I've just wasted it away. You're going to be mad at yourself every day, amen? But I don't depend on me. I depend on the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. Verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy. Well, what is mercy? Mercy is not giving someone what they do deserve. You know, we have to have mercy in our churches because there's a lot of people that have stuff coming that you can't really give it to them. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make a, another confession. It seems like I'm just preaching to myself this morning. I took a spiritual gift survey about six years ago. Anybody ever taken a spiritual gift survey? You know what that is? It's where you fill out a bunch of questions, and, and this is just something some man came up with, but it's like 120 questions. And at the end of this test, it's supposed to identify what your strengths and your weaknesses are concerning spiritual matters. Because we all believe in spiritual gifts, right? We do. Some people have the gift of giving. Some people have the gift of, of uh, teaching and preaching and all these. But, but one of the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit is mercy. And I don't have that one. In fact, there, was some, there were some questions on the test and some places that I scored really good. And then at the end of the test, when I, and you score it yourself, I looked at the end and I said, Mercy, surely, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian, this should be something I'm really good at. And there was a big fat zero there. And that convicted me. And it still convicts me today. Sometimes... I'm not merciful with people. But I think about later in the book of Matthew, about two men that owed somebody a great debt. Matthew chapter 18. There were two men that owed somebody a great debt. And you know what the guy that the, that, uh, the money was owed to him, you know what he did? He forgave both of them. He said, you know what? He said, you owe me like $20,000 in, in today's terms. Actually, it was more 200000 I'm sorry, I misread that. Now, how many of you would like it and, and, and be thankful if somebody forgave you of owing them $200,000? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Some of, some of you may not owe that, and that's fine. But, but think about this great mercy that was shown. And then this guy that, that just go, that, that, that just had his money, he was forgiven. And he goes and, and he finds his buddy and he said, You know what? The Lord just forgave me of $200,000 that the master did. And then Austin, he owes me 10 bucks. Don't you, Austin? We'll talk about it later. And he goes and it says that he grabbed that guy by the throat. I'm not going to grab by the throat, brother. And he got right in his face and he says, You need to give me what you owe me. Now, did that guy show mercy at all? 
no mercy. So you know what happened to him? The Lord found out about it, and he had him arrested, cast into prison. He sold his family into slavery, and he sold his house and all his possessions to pay back this debt. Now I'll say this, that well you say, well how do you apply that to us? I owed God a debt that was absolutely unforgivable. There is nothing that I could do to pay back the debt that I owed God. And the, the only way to pay it back was with my life, and, and that's through death. And God forgave me of that. Now I had to ask Him for forgiveness, amen, you have to ask. But I went to an altar as a 10-year-old little boy, and I asked God, I said, I said, God, I've got this great debt of sin, and I didn't fully understand it at the time, but what I didn't understand is I wanted Christ in my life. And I had this great debt of sin that I could never repay, and God, without hesitation, He didn't say, well, let me check. Let me look and, and see what you've done, and, and if you've done enough good things and all that. He just said, you know what? You are forgiven of that. So who am I and who are you to go out and, and not reciprocate mercy to people around you? Amen? Anybody with me this morning? Is everybody with me? And, and, and I deal with this, and, and please pray for me. Pray for mercy for me. I, I mean, I need to give mercy. My wife tells me sometimes, you're, you're, just, you're just not nice to people. And I say, well, I'm sorry. That's just not what I'm strong at, okay? Look at the test. There's a zero on it. You're a teacher. You know what a zero means, right? I failed. But we need to show mercy to others. There are going to be times when, when people come to me and they, they do things to me or they say things to me that are, are uncalled for, and by all means I have every right to put them in their place and tell them what it's really all about. Sometimes we face those situations in life where we, can, we, we have the right to do that, but you know what you do? If you're merciful, you forgive them. Amen? You don't give them what they have coming. And the next one, he says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. My time's drawing short. I'll try to get through these as quick as I can. Just bear with me. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now this kind of goes to, back to the ones that are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. They're seeking to live right. And I believe that you will be happy if, if, you're, if you're trying to live a decent life. And what I mean by that is this, that, that with sin comes misery. If you don't believe me, just go, go find a lost person and say, uh, are you enjoying your life? And they may say yes, but then you check on them five years down the road. And, and a lot of times people, you know, sin, sin will catch up with you. Amen? I see, I see guys and I've seen people that have partied it up and, and in, enjoyed life and done all the great things. And, and I think about even the, the, the prodigal son and how that he partied and he thought, man, this life of sin, it's, it's great. But Hebrews teaches us in Hebrews chapter 11 that sin is good for a season. But those that are pure in heart, you know what they can be? They can be supremely happy. And find their happiness in God. Now let's move on. And, and I'm trying to be as quick as I can. And, and this is the one that I may spend the least amount of time on. Because it's covered later in this chapter. But he said, blessed 
are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now what is a peacemaker? It's someone that seeks to make things right with other people. Now, I don't know a whole lot of people that go out of their way to seek to build relationships or to, to correct relationships with other people. Wouldn't you agree with that? Like, I'll be honest with you, it's a rare thing generally. You ever see two people get into it about something? Anybody? Like, just, just silly, stupid things. And, uh, you know, I, I saw an example one time of uh, somebody drinking the last Coke in the fridge. And some people get mad at each other and, and, and won't talk to each other for two or three days over something that stupid, right? So you can think if, if people are like that over a Coca-Cola, how much, how much worse could they be over bigger situations? Pretty bad sometimes, right? And so it, it's a rare thing, just to be honest with you, and, and there's, there's people all over uh, churches that have fractured relationships, that have problems with people. And it may be small, and it may be big. But it's a rare thing to see somebody go to another person and seek to make peace with them. To seek and say, hey, if I was wrong, will you forgive me? I don't think you can be truly happy and, until you, you, you make right those relationships. What we generally see in our churches is sort of the opposite and in our lives is uh, blessed or, or the opposite of peacemakers. So, what, so what's the opposite of peace? Well, you, chaos, trouble, uh, you know, what, whatever you want to call it. So, so it doesn't say blessed are the troublemakers or blessed are the people that make chaos and, and that make dissension among the brethren and all this. It says blessed are the peacemakers. We all know the ones that like to, like to make trouble, don't we? Amen. Say amen right there, church. You know anybody like that? You know a troublemaker? If you don't know anybody like that, it's probably you. Amen. I'm just being honest with you this morning. Blessed are the peacemakers. I'll say this, that, that I try, even though I'm not merciful, I try to keep a good relationship with people. I really do. I, I hate it. I really do. I hate it when somebody's mad at me. I don't like that feeling. You know, some people don't mind it when, when, when they have a difference with somebody and somebody gets mad and people storm off, but I can't stand it. I feel bad about it. I'm like, man, I've, I've got to get this right. And sometimes I'm not good at it. And you know what the thing about being a peacemaker is? A lot of times it's harder than about anything on this list because what you have to do is you have to take the pride out of your life and you have to go seek peace with someone. Matthew chapter 18, again, and, and the, back to that story about giving mercy, it talks about another thing where if you bring your gift to the altar, in fact, now that's later in, in the Sermon on the Mount, and somebody's got a problem with you, you've got to take care of that. Because especially, understand this as believers, how can we expect to love a world that doesn't know anything about love, that's dying and going to hell, if we can't love each other in this church. Can you say amen right there? How can we expect that? Blessed are the peacemakers. And then he goes on in verse 10, and I'm almost done, and I'm going to read this all together. This is one beatitude. Verse number 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice. That's what you do when you're happy, right? You rejoice and, and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I've never truly faced persecution. I've never had a gun to my head. Never had a knife to my throat. Have you? I haven't. Now some of you that, that know missionaries know stories like that. Know uh, people that, that put their, their life on the line for the cause of Christ. But I tell you, uh, persecution is not a thing of the past. It's a thing of the present. There are those that are persecuted for their faith all over the world. People are being, pe being killed because they're Christians. Because they take a stand. Because they try to spread the gospel of Christ. People in Muslim countries, they be, they, they'll just behead you. They'll lock you in China. If you go and, and spread the gospel in China, there's a good chance that you're going to find yourself sitting in a prison cell. And you think, well, man, how, how in the world could you rejoice in that? That just don't sound like something you could be happy about. And by worldly standards, it's not. I mean, that'd be awful. I, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to be separated from my family and be in prison for preaching. And it might come to that. I don't know. I mean, I'll be honest with you on the trajectory we're on right now. Things are going downhill fast. Can you say amen? It don't look good. But let me tell you that, that even in persecution, even, even when, when people are reviling you, it says, it says when men shall revile you, tell you that they don't want to hear it, tell you that you're an idiot for being a Christian and that, that you, you, just, you just believe a lie and all these things and then they shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. Rejoice. Rejoice. Not because it's happening to you right now, but rejoice because great is your reward where? In heaven. Understand that every one of these rewards that he talks about here is, is really, at the end of the day, it's a heavenly reward. It's something that we have to look forward to. It says that the kingdom of heaven... You're comforted because you know you're going to heaven. You shall inherit the earth, that is the new earth. And all these things, and you see these things, for they shall see God. You're called the children of God. The kingdom of heaven is yours. You see, all these rewards are eternal rewards. If there's anything I can be happy about this morning, you know what it is. You know what I can rejoice about? That one of these days... I get to take off this corrupt body, according to 1 Corinthians 15, and I get to put on an incorruptible body. This mortal is going to gain immortality, and this corruptible body is going to be incorruptible one of these days. And so all these things that we're dealing with, and all these things that we face, and all these hardships, and, and the fact that we're destitute and poor, and all these things that I've covered this morning, they're only temporary you don't have to deal with them for eternity unless you don't accept Jesus. 
I'll be honest with you, I don't want anybody to go to hell, do you? Absolutely not. And Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's comforting them because he knows what's coming to them. But these guys, I believe, were, were on their way to heaven. And if these things don't apply to you this morning, maybe you say, well, well, I'm not really that bad in spirit and, and I don't mourn over this fact that, that I'm destitute. I don't see a need for these things. Oh, you have a need this morning. And that is to accept Jesus. I pray that, that you would, we could realize our state this morning and how much we just depend on the Lord. And I pray that if you're not on your way to heaven this morning, that you would, you would get on your way this morning. I can't think of a better day, could you? August the 1st, 2021, what a good day to get saved, amen? It's, it's, I mean, it's a whole lot better than yesterday because we don't have yesterday back. It's a whole lot better than tomorrow because we not, might not make it there, so why not today? Why don't you get your heart right? Brother Cecil, come. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, thank you for your words. And Lord, thank you for these, these attitudes and these beatitudes and how that we can be supremely and exceedingly happy. Lord, but we know that our happiness and our joy and, and any, any kind of pleasure that we can ever have is going to come through you. It doesn't come through worldly things. It doesn't come through having a, a, a material things or, or having a, a great family or anything like that. Even though these things do make us happy, Lord, the ultimate joy is found in you. And Lord, if, if there's somebody here this morning that maybe doesn't have that happiness, they don't have that, that exceeding joy in their heart because the, they're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven and they're, they're, they're called the children of God, I'm happy, I'm exceeding happy this morning, Lord, thank you for that. But God, if there's somebody that doesn't know you, Lord, I just pray that you would deal with them and God, that you would let them know that they're destitute and that they're poor and, and without you that they are nothing and they're not making it to heaven, not even a slight chance of it outside of you. God, I pray that you will bless this invitation, Lord. Uh, let the Holy Spirit have his way in this service. In Jesus' name, amen.